All right, what's up, Three Circle family? Welcome back to our midweek gathering as we continue on with our study through the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, which is probably, uh, I, would, I would say, probably the most popular chapter within that book, that very small book. Paul, who's the author of this, uh, man, he's taught us so many really just incredible truths uh, that we've been kind of going through. And then we reach kind of like this bookend in chapter 2, uh, basically a pause. In fact, a lot of historians and theologians refer to this as a break in the book. It's very fascinating. Uh, in, in movies and entertainment, uh, you've probably actually seen movies where actors and actresses do this thing called breaking the fourth wall. If you don't know what that is, if you aren't familiar with that term, it's where you as the audience are watching the movie and you're seeing actors do their thing and it's where the, the actor or actress basically presses pause in the entertaining you as the audience, as, as the person viewing the movie, and they pause and turn to the camera and say, uh, this is the part where I run away. Or uh, a very famous movie like Ferris Bueller or, or Home Alone, where he turns to the camera and raises his eyebrows and say, I made my family disappear. <laughs> That's called breaking the fourth wall. So theologians refer to this little section of verses inside chapter 2 as a break in the book of, of Philippians. Paul, who again is the author of this, is almost breaking the biblical fourth wall. So you see so far where we've learned about all this instruction and exhortation that, that uh, uh, Paul is giving to the church at Philippi. And then he kind of takes a time out and says, let me speak to you directly, not in an instructional way, not in an exhortation way, but let me, let me give you kind of some insight as to what's going on and what's going to happen to you as a church. It's, it's kind of an obscure set of verses, and if we're, we're not careful, we can look at it and go, okay, that's just one of those sections where it's a lot of information that I don't need. And that, it would be so sad if we looked at it and breezed over it that way, because even as, as interesting and obscure as these verses may seem, it may come across at face value, there's so much packed into it. Um, so a few things to look at. It's, this is the section where, uh, depending on what translation or what Bible you have, it's usually subtitled something to the effect of Timothy and Epaphroditus. These were two men who, who did ministry alongside Paul, did ministry in life. And, and, and man, it's just absolutely incredible how um, Paul uses these guys to accomplish kingdom work. Um, one, one thing to note is how uh, Paul had such a love and, and, and admiration for these guys. Really, there was a mutual admiration between all three and, and how it was, we'll, we'll see in a second, a gift to the church in Philippi that they were receiving Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, so let's, let's kind of read through this. Again, it's, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I hope you can on your own. Uh, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you, to, to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him, referring to Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. We'll get back to that in a second. It says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Some pretty heavy words right there. Uh, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So some, some things to note just when it comes to talking about Timothy. See, you 
maybe if you've been a Christian for some years, maybe you grew up in church, I don't know what it is, but for a lot of us, we tend to look at like Paul as the mentor and Timothy as the, the student, right? The young guy who's like learning the ropes. And yes, like a lot of people, maybe you or even me, like as I'm, when I first started out in ministry, yeah, I was learning the ropes, but I don't want us to miss um, how much of a, I guess you could say an equal Timothy is to Paul. Uh, a lot of people, uh, I think, accidentally can, can go, okay, Paul was the real guy. He was the main guy, and Timothy was part of the JV team. And that wasn't the case at all. Uh, when Paul was telling the church at Philippi, hey, you're getting Timothy, he'd said some pretty striking words, um, some, some very high, high compliments regarding Timothy. So check this out. In verse 20, he says, I have no one like him. So if you, if you were to read that at face value, it sounds like, okay, Timothy's just a good guy. So, hey, be happy. You're getting Timothy. That's not exactly what he's saying. In fact, the Greek word that Paul uses here, it's a very interesting word that's called genosis. Uh, in fact, when we translate that to our English language, the closest words that come to mind when we see that word genosis is is like-minded. Now, if we were to use the phrase like-minded to describe Timothy, that description would fall short of, of who he really is. See, Paul uses the word genosis, and if we were to translate that to the English language directly, it actually creates a whole new phrase that we would call like-souled, like your soul that is within you. So Timothy, excuse me, Paul is saying Timothy is not just like-minded. They didn't share a mutual love for a favorite football team. Uh, he wasn't just a good dude. In, in so many ways, Timothy was an absolutely fierce, fiercely committed uh, apostle, uh, follower of Jesus and the gospel. Uh, many theologians know that Paul had some physical limitations, and, and Timothy uh, was regarded as, as Paul's caregiver, his caretaker. So, like, there's so much packed into this little subsection of verses that I don't want us to miss. Like, it would have been more than a treat for the church of Philippi to receive Timothy. It was a huge thing. Not someone who was just a good guy, not someone who was just like-minded, but like-souled. He was a soldier for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was absolutely incredible. And he goes on, he, he describes uh, the, the, the opposite of what is the mind of Christ. He says in verse 21, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And the cool thing about reading scriptures, when you see a sentence like this, you can also assume the opposite is true. So if it says, For they seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, you can assume that those who seek the interest of others is that of Jesus Christ. It's pretty incredible how this little piece of information is right in just these little subsection of verses. So you see these details, this, this context. I hope for me, like it shines a ton of light on what again seems as a very just odd set of verses. But I think there's some, some spiritual truths, some spiritual nuggets that we can kind of glean on. And here's, here's a few things that if you're you're taking notes, if you're, you're tuning in, maybe you're going, I don't know what, much about this whole God thing or, or the Bible really, but I just want to check it out. I want to try to, I want you to lean in on this because there's some truths here that I'm telling you are absolutely life altering. They're life giving. They're so 
So good. One thing I tell our student ministry, I'm the student pastor here at Three Circle Church, I tell our students this all the time, that the people in your life determine the direction and quality of your life. I want you to think on that for a second. The people in your life determine the direction and quality of your life. You can probably think back and, and know that that statement is true. In fact, as I'm saying that, you probably nod your head and you go, yep, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and while I use it in student ministry for, for teenagers, I think it is, is greatly uh, applicable for us today as adults as well. And so I love that um, when I read this section of verses, I see this principle at hand, right? So Paul, again, the chapters preceding this little section of verses, Paul is giving an, an just a, a unique uh, bit of information. And I see this right here, that the people in your life determine the direction and quality of life. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> Paul was arguably known as like a spiritual giant, right? We look at the life of Paul and we go, man, there's like no greater apostle than, than Paul. And rightfully so, he is. He's accomplished so much for the kingdom of God. But Paul not only said it and not only do we read it, we see it right here as we read between the lines that Paul made it um, just part of his commitment to Jesus to find people and put them around him. Right? It's one thing to know the right people to spend time with or, or hang out with or have conversation or coffee with. It's another thing to be like sold with someone. Right? In other words, I, I guess for you as a viewer or listener, you're tuning in, checking this out, what does that mean for me in my life? What are some folks in your life who share the same burdens that you share? Right? Like, who are those people who can, I don't know, truly pray with you and for you? Maybe a more invasive question would be, are there people in your life who truly know what you're struggling with? Are there people in your life that truly know what you're going through, your financial situation, your marriage situation, your parenting struggles, whatever that may be, are there people in your life that are like sold, right? Remember, Paul in verse 20 says, for I have no one like him. No one like him, right? No one that is like sold, that is not just like-minded, because that's an understatement, but like sold. Even in the verses later, we see um, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus who also was being sent to the church at Philippi. And, and it says where he, got, where he got sick, he was actually grieved and distressed, depending on the translation you have. He was grieved and distressed because he was sick. And, and again, it's easy to look at this and at face value go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Most people are distressed and grieved and sad and bummed. Whatever adjective you want to use to describe what it, it feels like when you're sick. But that's not at all what it means. See, my next point that I would encourage you to write down and really think on is this right here. When Jesus is primary, everything else is secondary. Let me say it one more time. When Jesus becomes primary, everything else is secondary. We see the character of guys like Timothy and Epaphroditus and obviously Paul. And it's so just awe-inspiring. Like any, any, any type of description I throw at these guys is going to fall short because it's a testament to what God is doing in their lives. It's, it's absolutely amazing. See, when I read verses where it says in verse 26, referring to Epaphroditus, it says, For he has been longing for you all, referring to the church, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was sick. 
All right, now again, it's not that he was distressed because he was sick. He was distressed. He was worried. He was grieved even because he was worried about the ministry that, that could be hindered, right? That could, could be like a speed bump uh, in the road for, for the ministry to continue at the Church of Philippi. Like, I don't know if you can really wrap your mind around this, but guys like Timothy and Epaphroditus, and again, obviously Paul can teach us so much with the attitude of, 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 that is like Christ, right? Thinking of others' interest as more important than their own. That is like what, in, in the beginning of chapter 2, that is the mind of Christ. These guys weren't just giving instruction. They were, they were living it out. They were modeling it. And, and let me remind you, Paul's writing this letter as he's sitting in a prison cell. Like, that blows my mind. Paul in a prison cell, and he's writing about how it's going to greatly benefit the church to receive Timothy and Epaphroditus. I don't know if you understand this. Again, like what I was saying about Paul, he was, he was not in the best physical shape of his life, right? So if, if Timothy was his caregiver, we can assume that it would have been a bit of a loss, right? A bittersweet loss because Paul was, as he says in the first in 19, that he was cheered. His spirits were lifted to know that Timothy was going to do ministry in Philippi. But also, it would have been challenging for Paul to continue on. It's, it's so beautiful seeing the mutual admiration for these, these three, how they, how they loved one another, how they cheered one another on, even amidst suffering. Right? Situational and physical limitation, regardless of that, these guys made it a point to keep Jesus as primary. And as a result of that, that made everything else secondary. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of convicts me. That makes me go, okay, my situation is not all that bad. Right? My situation in my house in, in my family context, whatever that is for you, it's not all that bad. Yeah, it may be challenging. It may be tough. And it may, it, you may be going, I don't know what my next step is. But I think, I think if that truth can be cemented in not just our minds, we can allow God to cement that in our hearts, right? That Jesus is and should be primary. And I think, I just, I just think that if we make it a point to make Jesus primary in our life. Everything else will become secondary, right? From situation to challenge. Uh, imagine if you cemented this in your mind and you allowed God to cement that in your heart. I mean, for me, I think that would change the context in your family. I believe it would change the context of your neighbors, the people who surround you, right? Imagine what would happen if we didn't just believe those things, but we took them to heart. And we made it a commitment to not let our faith get drowned out by our situation, right? To not let our hurt squash our faith by any means, but rather we allowed our, our faith to supersede no matter what is going on in our lives. And as a result of that, it affects the people we spend time with. Maybe for you, you're spending time with folks that that aren't like sold for you, right? And, and it, you just, you don't really have relationships, so to speak. You have acquaintances. People talk about sports work and the weather on repeat. That gets old, that gets boring, man. 
Who are those people that, that know what you are truly going through? And likewise too, you can get the courage to, to, to have those conversations that just feel a little bit off. They feel a little bit awkward, but they're, they're not just right, they're good, right? It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible what happens when we make it a point to make Jesus primary, right? You change just your, your mindset, your attitude for Jesus, and everything else becomes secondary. Imagine the conversations, right? Imagine the conversations that you would begin to have with your family. Imagine the silence that will be broken on a couch with you and your spouse. Maybe you enter into a conversation that you've been wanting to and needing to have for a long, long time. Maybe it's as simple as you getting the courage to have a conversation with a neighbor. I don't know what that is for you, but for me, this is convicting in a whole new way because I see someone who is riding through what is, again, understatement, arguably an incredibly challenging time, riding from a jail cell, a prison cell, and, and, and ex explaining his, his, his admiration for two just fierce warriors for the gospel. And, and I think it all starts with making Jesus primary. And when we do that, we see God take care of the rest, right? We obey God, He takes care of the consequences. We say yes to God, He takes care of the rest. Make Jesus primary and everything else will become secondary.